0: Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us and uh, leading us in worship today, worship team, and uh, Sarah and Emma and Earl, appreciate that. Earl, you need to keep them around. They make you look good. <laughs> appreciate uh, just reflecting on God's goodness to us that he He takes away not only our pain, but our sin as well, and we're grateful. Uh, to reflect on the freedom that we have through Jesus Christ, and uh, mindful of that today. If you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Today is Liberty Sunday, and we're thankful for the freedom that we have to actually open God's Word. And we're mindful of that, and remember that today, that we have the freedom. Not everybody in today's world has that, but we do. And many times we overlook that, and so thankful that we get to celebrate that and the the men and women who have given their lives uh, so that we uh, could worship freely in a place like this. And uh, have religious liberty to do that. And so I I encourage you to come tonight as well as Pastor Harley said to that as we um, celebrate that time together. You know, I heard so many people uh, went to Krispy Kreme this week to get donuts. I'm a little disappointed, though, not one of you brought me one, Okay. I thought I made it very clear that I uh, appreciate that. So next time, take a hint. I like Krispy Kreme donuts, okay. I read this week that there are about 11,000 books published daily. There are 23 billion text messages sent every day. That's 270,000 text Per minute, excuse me, per second actually, per second we send 270,000 texts. Now hopefully none of you are adding to that number right now or throughout the message. We send a lot of texts though. We communicate a lot of information. I've also learned this week that if you were to read the New York Times in one week, you actually look at more information in that one week than a person living in the 1800s would come by throughout their whole lifetime. We are inundated with information today. We have information at our fingertips. We can go to Google. We no longer have to go to the libraries. We no longer have to go to the Chamber of Commerce to learn about our city. We can just go straight to the internet in a few seconds we have our answer. Now here's the deal. If we were to take one of those examples I gave, like for instance, the books. If we were to look at the books that are published today, they give us a lot of information. They may encourage us. They may challenge us. They may grow our knowledge. But there's only one book in this life that is truly able to transform us. And that is the Word of God. That is the the Bible that you have before you today. It's the one book that we have in our life today that God has given us to make us more like his son. Now what James does is he takes... His discussion on trials and temptation, and he moves to discussing the power of the Word of God in our life. And he challenges us to consider the response that we should have to the Word of God. And so here's the main thought I want to get across today, and here's what James is trying to do in the next few verses of James chapter 1. He's trying to tell us this, that our response to the Word of God should be to allow the Word of God to change us, not entertain us. We should allow the Word of God to change us, not entertain us. And yet we live in a culture today, even among Christians, that would rather be entertained by the Word of God. We would rather our ears tickled than our hearts transformed. I just read not too long ago about a Christian comedian that was coming to our town To a church nearby us, and they had to sell 1,200 tickets to make uh, the Christian comedian profitable or to make sure that the show was profitable. Do you know how long it took to sell 1,200 tickets for a Christian comedian? One week. What if we were to sell tickets to come to the church service today? You think people would actually buy the tickets to hear the Word of God preached? I I would probably not want to know that answer, to be honest with you. See, we would rather be entertained, many of us, by the Word of God, or we'd rather come and sit in a pew, hear a message, go home, but never be changed by what God's Word has to say. And what James is telling us is that if you are ever going to spiritually grow, you have to use God's Word to do that. Now, I struggled this week to divide the text uh, in the right way. Now, there's several ways you can do that. You can take verses 19 through 27 and preach it as a whole, or you can divide it, verse 21. And so, because there's so much information, I decided to go with the next three verses. And what we're going to see here in verses 19 through 21, we're going to see our response, the first response that we should have to the Word of God. And we're to allow the Word of God to change us, and we're to do that. James is going to give us five practices or five activities that we should put into our lives today. And so if you're taking notes, if you're following along uh, in the sheet on the back of your weekly connect, you'll see there's five activities that we are to practice if we want the Word of God to change us today. If we want to be transformed, if we want to become more like Christ, we're to put these five actions into Practice. You'll notice in verse 19 that these things are important. Look at the beginning of verse 19 if you're there in James chapter 1. It says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, some translations that you have might say things like, you know this, or let me remind you, or don't forget about this. James is telling us that you cannot skim over what's about to be said in God's word. Yeah, many times we come to verses like this and we skim over it. We look past it. We look at it like the terms and conditions, you know, that we read on a computer when you're about to download a new software. You know what I mean? Like if your iPhone's about to update, you have like pages and pages and pages that you scroll through. If you're like me and you're normal, you're not going to read one word of that, okay? I know some of you uh, are, are like, yeah, I'll read every word. If you're like that, you got a problem, okay? Most of us, most of us don't read the terms and conditions. I did it just this week. I had a software that I had to download on my computer. I I clicked there, and there's this long page, and I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and scrolled, not looked at one single word, and I hit I agree. And literally, for all I know, I could have signed up for like four years of the Navy. I mean, it doesn't like, I have no idea what I signed up for. And many times we come to the Word of God, and you know what we do? We skim over it. We literally look past it because there's things in our life that we think are more important. And So James says, here's what you're to do if you want to be changed. Number one, number one, you need to unclog your ears. You need to take out the spiritual Q-tips, really is what James is saying, and clean your ears out. Open up your ears. Notice verse 19 again. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift or quick to hear. Now, this command here, uh, some take it to mean simply that you're to listen quickly in life. Now, what we can't do in this verse is rip it out of its context. Now, many of us, what we'll do is we'll read this verse, and obviously, we want to listen well. You want to pay attention. You, you want to listen closely to things, but we'll take this verse, and we'll rip it right out of its context, and we forget that there's verses surrounding what's taking place here in James. And we can't miss that because if we do, we miss what James is trying to get at when it comes to the word of God and its impact on our life. Here's what James is trying to do. I want you to see this. Look at verse 18. We looked at verse 18 last week in the midst of temptation, but if you look at verse 18, James is going to give us a clue word for what the context is here. He says, Of his own will begat he us with what? The word of truth. The word of truth. Truth. Verse 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness or wickedness and receive with meekness the ingrafted word or the implanted word. Verse 22, be ye doers of what? The word. The word. The whole context here is the word of God. James is saying you are to listen closely, eagerly to the word of God. You're to pay attention to it. Because if you don't, it's never going to change you. He's concerned with who we are listening to in our life. See, when trials come, context there too, he talks about trials and temptations. He says, when trials come, when temptations come in your life, what are you listening to? Are you running to anything before you run to the Word of God? Is the Word of God the first thing you run to in the midst of your temptation, in the midst of your trials, or is it the last thing you go to? See, the Bible says, and we can't miss this, that we are to be quick to listen to what the Word of God says in our life. Now, that doesn't mean that that one-page devotional that you read is going to change you. See, many of us, what we do is two or three minutes a day or two or three minutes every other day, we we open up that Bible app and we think that actually God's Word is going to transform us in just a few minutes. That's not going to happen. The Bible says be slow, be quick, be quick to listen to what God's word has to say. Be attentive to it. And yet our society today does everything else but that. (laughs) One psychologist put it this way. I thought it was good. He said, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. Dialogues of the deaf. Have you ever met somebody that doesn't listen well? I mean, better yet, ha- have you ever been that person that doesn't listen well? <laughs> you know, some people will tell you their name and like in 10 seconds you forget their name. Has that ever happened to you? You know, like somebody will tell me their name, they'll shake my hand, they'll have a whole conversation with me, I'll walk away and I said, I have no idea, number one, what they said and I have no idea what their name is. I mean, because we don't listen well. We, we live in a society today that, that, that would prefer to talk before we listen. We want to interrupt, we, we want to get our point out, we want to... Get our point across. My wife told me that this week. <laughs> I don't listen well. <laughs> Any spouse's wives, have I'm sure your husband listens really good. Well, I, I don't, okay. I was thinking about that as she told me that, and I thought back to a couple years uh, in, our, in our marriage, I, I had a problem, and I wouldn't even call it a problem. I mean, I know that surprises you that I have a problem or that I have, a, I have an issue. <laughs> but I had a problem, maybe more like a, a faulty, I don't know, defect in my biological makeup. There, there was a problem with me. One thing I wouldn't do very well is I, when we first got married, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't put my socks that I would take off after the day, I wouldn't put them in the dirty clothes right, Okay. I mean, does anybody else have this problem? Okay, well, I had the problem. What I would do is, I, I don't know why I'd do this. I think it's just because I'm in a hurry. I'll take my socks and I'll just like turn them inside out and I'll just throw them in the dirty clothes. I mean, I did that my whole life. You know, I guess my mom just never told me. And so, you know, she'd watch my clothes and I, I just think it's normal. Well, my wife being so patient, she would tell me over and over again, she'd say, Nick, you, you turn your socks inside out, you got to turn them back the right way. See, because I didn't realize that it takes her double the time then to wash them and then turn them inside out and put them. I mean, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's a little frustrating to her when she has to fold these clothes and the socks are turned inside out. Well, every time she'd say that, it went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> you know, like I'd still do it. Well, one day she got tired of it. She got tired of it. And so she folded all the clothes except for my socks. <laughs> and guess what I was made to do? I was made to fold all my socks. Well, listen, the message was received loud and clear. You know when they say you you listen very quickly? I learned to listen very quickly. And now I only do it half the time, okay? (laughs) See, we have a problem in our society today. We We don't listen well. You think about, I was thinking about Major League Baseball. I'm not a big Major League Baseball fan. Um, but I was thinking about Major League Baseball this week because, they're, you know, the, the season started. And they just changed a rule, I think, last year, maybe this year, about the, the, the games. And they said they can't go as long because people were complaining about how long the baseball game was taking. So they set rules. Like, we, we literally live in a society that, that pays for these games, but it can't take too long, okay? <laughs> we we got to adjust this. And James says, if you're going to be changed... You can't skim past what God's word says. You can't overlook it. Let me tell one more story because I thought it was funny. Okay, this may not go, go very well, but I'm going to try, all right. <laughs> I was just thinking about this more and more as I was thinking about just our culture. And, and, and it, it's like a sound soundbite culture, you know. Like, we, because of the internet, there's good things that the internet has brought. I mean, you think about the, 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 the proclamation of the gospel. Just, just the fact that radio stations can literally take a sermon and turn it into a different language so that people in, in other cultures can hear the go- I mean, the internet is a good thing, okay, at some times. It's a bad thing, though, too, because many times what we've done is we've turned our, especially my generation, we've turned it into like a soundbite culture. You know, we, we just want, like, the, the short video, or we want the short thing. Not the whole sermon, okay? But we'll take two minutes of the sermon, and we'll take a clip, and that's all we need. See, see many times, uh, that's what the Internet ha- has caused us to do. And here's where I've seen it happen the most. Have you ever been on an airplane before, Okay. I don't travel much, but on the airplane, you know, there's there's a there's a hostess that stands in front of you know the the people on the airplane, and she begins to give the directions about everything that's supposed to take place. You know, like if the if the you know the air in the in the cabin becomes you know not not good enough to breathe, these things are going to drop down, and what are you supposed to do? Put it over your mouth first, and not your child's mouth first. Don't freak out, okay? Do that, and then you know if the if worst case scenario the plane crashes, there's a flotation device, and it's your seat right. You're supposed to take your seat out, and, and then you know like. Like if you, if you miss the whole thing, there's what, like a yellow card there in the back of the seat. Listen, she is the most ignored person on the plane, okay? Nobody is listening to her. You think about it. She gets paid, literally, to stand up in front of somebody and tell them what to do, and they don't even listen. And sometimes I feel like I get paid to do that too. <laughs> it's because we live in a society that doesn't want to listen, and God says, be transformed Listen to your, your book. Listen to the Bible that's in front of you. Our devotional prayer, though, is, is oftentimes, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening, but you only have 60 seconds. You know? I mean, literally, we, we say, speak to me, Lord, but I'm only going to give you five minutes today. Okay, so make it quick. You know, you know don't, 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 don't tell me to look up this word or don't tell me to reflect on this because I, I only have a, a few seconds. And this happens, too, in the preaching moment. I keep going back to preaching because it's the Word of God, and that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We come to hear the, the preaching of the Word of God, but it happens in the preaching moment. People say, uh, preacher, you preach, but don't go past 11 o'clock. You know, they'll say, preacher, you preach, but, you know, make sure that you get me out on time because I have a meeting. I've got to get to that restaurant. I mean, that's really a true thing. I've had that happen. People say, people preach, but uh, uh, pastor preach, but I- I'm going to get up and leave at 11 if you're not done. Now, if any of you do that, we're watching, okay? So you don't want to do that today at least. We say that, though, because we don't really care about what the Word of God says. We'd rather focus on what's temporal than really what's eternal. It's valuing the things that really don't matter. See, if we really believe the Word of God, we would have no problem saying no to the lakes on Sunday so that we could sit in the pew and listen to the Word of God preached. We would have no problem telling the soccer coach on Sunday that my son or daughter is not going to play because they're going to be in church. We'd have no problem. I have had parents throughout the years tell me, literally, they'd confess to me. They'd say, they'd say Pastor, we're not going to come to church because we do travel baseball. Like, they'd literally tell me that. <laughs> like, it's the worst thing to say to a pastor. It's like telling a doctor, I'm not going to come get healed because I don't like what you do. Like, It's terrible. But people say it because they prefer the things that really don't matter and they don't believe the Word of God's going to really change them. They don't believe God's Word is that powerful. And you may say, well, Pastor Nick, you're just a legalist. All you care about is fill an auditorium. I just want to be straight with you. If that's what you're thinking, that's not true. I don't say that because I want to fill an auditorium or I want to guilt you into something. I say it because I believe this is the very words of God. And I believe that it's going to transform your life if you really allow it to change you. And that one day, one day, listen, we're going to stand before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, well, my daughter won all those soccer championships. God, look at that. Or... or, or Listen, God, I, I was able to go to the lake that many weekends, or I, I was able to do all those fun things so that I could miss church. Listen, when I get before the Lord, I want to say, God, I believed your word, and I obeyed your word. And wouldn't you want the same thing said about you? If you want to do that, number one, you've got to unclog your ears. You have to be quick to listen, swift, pay closely attention to what God's word says. Number two, Number two, I want you to see this. The second step that you are to take if you, or second action, excuse me, if you want to be transformed by God's word is to zip your lips. We're to zip our lips. You ever heard that said to you before? I've been in kids' ministry long enough to know that's like a, that's like a common phrase you're going to say. You better zip your lips, right? Okay, I'm learning it too now that I have a child. We're going to say zip our lips. Notice verse 19. James says zip your lips here. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and what? Slow to speak. Slow to speak. That adjective there, slow, and that adjective there, swift or quick, is not referring to an action, but an attitude. And and here's what James is saying. And remember the context. What's the context? He's talking about the Word of God. He's literally saying that if you're to be slow to speak when it comes to the Word of God, that means you are not to talk back. You're not to talk back to the Word of God. You're not to argue with what God's Word has to say. You're to be slow. You're to... Number one, step back, listen to it, reflect on it, meditate it, meditate on it. But when it challenges you, don't talk back. Don't argue with it because this is God's word. It's God breathe. It's truth. And you're to sit there and listen and to close your mouth. And not to argue with it, because many times, I don't know about you, but I've come to the Word of God, and you probably met somebody like this before. What they'll do is they'll come to it, and they'll begin to argue with it. They'll say, oh, I know God's Word says don't gossip, but I just got to say this, (laughs) right? Or or they'll say, I know I'm not supposed to lie. I I know I'm supposed to know I got to tell the truth, but I just can't be honest with this person, right? Or they say, I know God's Word says this is a sin, but I'm going to participate in it. You know, it's not going to hurt anything. Right? What do we do? We argue. We literally argue with God's very word. James says if you want to be transformed, you've got to sit there and be silent before the word of God. To zip your lips, not to talk back, not to be tempted to argue with what his word says. And by the way, that's a sign of immaturity. Not just spiritual Immaturity. You think about it, if you're going to argue with God's word, you are immature. But it's also a sign of immaturity in our culture today. As I said, you know, we don't like to listen. We, we'd rather argue. I mean, it doesn't take long to get on things like social media and even the news. I mean, the news outlets set it up to, to allow people to literally argue, to talk over each other. I mean, we, a lot of our, our, our problems in, in society today... It's not because we don't have the information. It's literally because we don't listen. And we just literally talk back to try to argue with somebody to win an argument. It's a sign of immaturity when you do that. And it doesn't just happen in childhood. I mean, you know, it can happen uh, with, with our senior adults. It can happen with young adults, with college students. It can happen with kids. And I've watched it happen with babies, okay? We talk back. We argue. I remember a few weeks ago... Hannah and I uh, had the opportunity to go share our testimony at a, at a, a, a marriage uh, seminar. And so we went there, and, it, and if you haven't figured this out yet, I'm an extrovert, okay? Like, I, I thrive around people. You, you call me crazy, but I, I like to get up and talk in front of people, okay? Like, it, it gets me going. Well, Hannah's not. Hannah's an introvert. Okay, she, she is much more happy if I do all the talking and she sits th- there. Now, that doesn't mean that Hannah doesn't have anything good to say, okay? In fact, most of what she says is a lot better than anything I will ever say, all right? But she is more than happy to just sit there and let me talk, all right? Well, that doesn't always go well when we go do things like this, okay? She would much rather just me talk. Well, they wanted the couple to come, and so we were sitting there. We were about 15 minutes into this uh, marriage seminar, and I was telling our testimony and how we came to know each other, how we got saved, and uh, Hannah probably said about five words in that um, in that whole time of 15 minutes. She probably introduced herself, and then I interrupted her <laughs> and started talking. Okay, well, about 15 minutes in, this guy in the back raises his hand. He rudely interrupts me, by the way. And I, I said to him, uh, I said, well, you know, what, what question do you have? And I thought at that moment, you know, he'd say, Pastor Nick, you you just do such a great job sharing that testimony. You know, I thought he'd just comment on the eloquence of my speech, and he would just say, you do such a good job. No, He raised his hand and looked at me. He said, Nick, would you just be quiet and let Hannah talk? (laughs) (laughs) Message received loud and clear, right? I've never gone back to that church since, by the way. (laughs) You want to see if you're progressing in the Christian life. Look at how you handle your mouth. Literally, look at how you control your tongue. And James, by the way, is going to bring this theme. If you've read the book of James, you know he constantly, I mean regularly, brings up the tongue. Because it's an unruly evil. It's hard to to contain. In fact, he says that no one can contain it. It's because if you want to ruin your life, literally it starts with the tongue. It starts with the tongue. So control... Your mouth, you want to grow in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations, zip your lips. Number three, Number three. eliminate, eliminate your anger. You want to be changed by the word of God, number one, sit quietly there, listen. Unclog your ears. Number two, zip your lips. And number three, eliminate your anger. The end of verse 19 says, be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow to wrath, slow to anger. And notice the progression. Notice the progression when it comes to the Word of God here. It begins with not listening, okay? You don't listen to what God's Word has to say to you. And then maybe what you'll do is you'll hear a few sound bites here and there. You know, you'll hear a few things that the preacher says, or you'll read something online, or maybe, you know, for sake of argument, you'll open up your Bible app, and you'll read a few words there, and you you misinterpret them. And you know what you do? You begin to talk back to God. You don't listen, number one. And then you talk back and you say, well, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I I don't agree with that interpretation. I don't like what he's saying there. I don't like that he's calling a sin a sin. I don't like that. And then you know what you do? That things don't work out for you. You're still in the midst of your trials. You're still in the midst of your temptations. Problems get worse. And guess what? You fly off the handle. And you say, God, why in the world would you do that? Why in the world would you bring that in my life? It's because... We miss the progression here. We don't listen. We talk back, and then we blow up. And we forget that God's word is breathed out. It's, it's breathed out what? For reproof, for correction, for doctrine, for training in righteousness. We miss that. And it leads to anger. And then James quickly, though, notice this. Notice this now. Look at verse 20. James tells us the consequences of that. What does he say here? Verse 20, he says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Literally, you do the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you get angry over God's word. You see, we're supposed to spiritually mature. We're to become more like Christ. And the Bible says when you become angry, you do the opposite of what you are supposed to do. You don't produce the righteousness of God. You don't begin to look like Christ. You're 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 not accomplishing what you are to accomplish. And God's not pleased. But many times we still get angry. I was thinking about my, my daughter this week. She, some of you know she broke her foot a few weeks ago. And so we went to the doctor on Thursday to get her cast off. And we were just hoping, you know, that, I don't know, we didn't know anything about this. But we were just hoping in those four weeks that she would just get that cast off. Everything would be okay. And uh, it wasn't so. Everything's fine now. You know, the, the bones are healing well. But she had to get a boot on. All right, so she's walking around this booth, cutest little thing. She, she walks around and she shows everybody and she says, boot, boot, you know, it's the cutest thing, you gotta see it today. Uh, well, We were so disappointed, well, I decided on Friday she could walk in it, so I decided to go and take her to the park, because she could walk and she's like a little daredevil too. There's like nothing that she's afraid of and so she's cr- literally crawling on the slides and going down the slides and crawling, the, and doesn't want dad to help, okay? Dad's gonna watch, dad doesn't help her go down these slides, she gets real mad. Well, she was having a blast until she found out that it was time to go, okay? I had to put her in the car, and she lost it. Now, you would think a little, you know, 25-pound baby wouldn't cause too much trouble to get into the car seat. It is difficult, okay? If you've ever had a baby, it's, it's difficult to put a baby into a car seat. Sometimes it takes me and Hannah, too, to like literally push her in there, and then at the end of it, we're like repenting because of what we said to each other as a result of this baby arguing with us, <laughs> I and mean, that happens all the time, but you think about it. Have you ever looked at your child at, at bedtime, and maybe they're upset about not getting the snack they want, and they begin to throw a tantrum? Have you ever looked at them, and have you ever thought, man, you're throwing such a good tantrum? <laughs> have you ever sat there and said, what passion do you have throwing that tantrum? I mean, you're so clear, and you're, you're just throwing that tantrum so well. Have you ever sat there and said that? No, of course not, okay? If you are, you got something wrong with you. No, when a baby throws a tantrum, we lose it. We get upset. We don't like it. It's the same thing with God. God looks at his children and he says, Why in the world are you throwing a tantrum? It's because you're not listening to my word, you're not taking it and reflecting on it and obeying it. It never accomplishes what you think it does, (laughs) you're doing the opposite. Again, notice, what do you do? You don't listen, you begin to talk back, you throw a tantrum, and then what happens? You don't produce the righteousness of God. You're not becoming mature. You're staying immature. And still, people will rationalize their anger. I've literally had Christians rationalize their anger with me. They say, well, it's just the way I was brought up, you know. Or they'll say, you know, if if things were different, if, if I wasn't, I've actually had people say this, if I wasn't on that medication... I've literally had a pastor. I remember I was, I was, in, a, I was in a church, and, and, and the pastor said he, he blew up at something that was going on in the church. And he said, he said well, I'm just on that allergy medication, and I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, sir. You have a temper problem. You have a temper problem. See, we don't know how to control our anger. And the Bible says if you're ever going to be transformed, you have to learn to do that. Proverbs 29, 11. I'll throw it up here on the screen for you in the back there so that you can see it. Proverbs 29, 11 is a good verse to reflect on in your life. A fool, a foolish person gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Quietly holds it back. I think it was Abraham Lincoln. I think Scripture says this too, but Abraham Lincoln says, you know, it's better to be considered a fool than to open your mouth and be one. And to prove it. You see, we need to be careful with the way we use our anger. I want you to see this too. James says that not only are you to unclog your ears, not only are you to zip your lips and eliminate your anger, but notice number four here. To, you are to wash your hands, or we are to wash our hands. That's a metaphor for being clean, wiping away our sin, putting away our filth, doing away with the things that are wrong. Notice verse 21 here. Here's what James says. He says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. It's a good word for wickedness, filth. And receive with meekness the ingrafted word which is able to save your souls. James says if you want the word of God to transform you, it's never going to happen if you have sin in your life. I mean, literally, if you are filled with sinful actions in your heart, the word of God that is implanted in you, I'll explain that in a second, that salvation is implanted in you. It's never going to grow. It's never going to control you. It's never going to change you. So you're to put it off. You consider the authors of the New Testament, which the Apostle Paul wrote most of the books. But over and over again, he, he continually uses this metaphor, metaphor of putting off and putting on, doesn't he? And he refers to it when it comes to uh, clothing as well. It's like putting off old soiled garments and then putting on new garments. He does that several places. Ephesians chapter 4, let me me show you this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. They'll put it on the screen for you here so that we can see this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul, I think they're going to put it on there. I hope. Maybe not. Oh, good, it's on the sides. I was waiting for the back there. You guys are paying attention. I like it. Here's what Ephesians 4, says, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which what? Which is corrupted, or which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put off those things. Verse 23, notice this now. Verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then he goes on to say, put on what? Verse 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Notice there, he says, put off these things. Put off the filth. He does it again in Colossians chapter 3. For the sake of time, we won't look at that. Colossians chapter 3, the, uh, most of the chapter there in Colossians chapter 3 is putting off old things and then putting on the new things, dressing yourself literally in righteousness. And notice too, I want you to notice this. Notice that the Bible calls sin a sin, I mean, that's kind of a truism. It really is, but you will never see the Bible miscategorize or redefine sin. It doesn't call sin a moment of weakness, or it doesn't try to say it's a disorder or a bad decision or a terrible choice. No, the Bible is very clear. It's very specific on what sin is. And James says that you are to put away your moral defilement Literally, those things that defile you, the filthiness, the wickedness, the moral evil. And by the way, that doesn't just refer to those things on the outside. The word there, wickedness, or superfluity and naughtiness, actually refers to what's on the inside as well, the heart. There are things that only you and God know. The Bible says you're not hiding from anything. God's eyes are everywhere. He sees it all, and you are to put it out of you. And that doesn't mean you're going to be in a state of perfection forever or always. You know, it would be nice. I wish the the Wesleyans were right when they say that we could reach perfectionism, but uh, we don't believe that here. We're always going to struggle with sin as a result of the fall. But that doesn't mean that you give up. You know, that doesn't mean that you, you don't quit addressing it. That means you deal with it. You work at it. You fight it. You overcome it. You confess it. Because really, here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is this. One of the marks that you are maturing in Christ, literally one of the marks that you are becoming more like Christ in your walk with the Lord is the fact that you are becoming more and more troubled over the sin in your life. So friend, let me ask you. Do you hate your sin or do you harbor it? Uh, Do you literally try to get rid of your sin or do you tolerate it? Is it something that you hold on to, or are you trying to get rid of it? Because here's the deal. We are to be killing our sin. We're to remove it from our lives. I like what J.C. Ryle, I like what he says about sin. I put the quote up here. He says this, hate sin. Instead of loving it, cleaving to it, excusing it, playing with it, we ought to hate it with a deadly hatred. So friend, do you hate sin? Do you consider it a burden in your life? There was a an evangelist that was in India at one point in his life, and he was sharing about the burden of sin. And this pastor was telling this story, and this evangelist was sharing about the burden of sin in his life, and there was this unbelieving skeptic there. And so the unbelieving skeptic interrupted him, and he said, Pastor, would you tell me what it feels like for the burden of sin to be on you? Is it like 80 pounds? Is it like 10 pounds? What does it feel like? Well, the evangelist quickly shot back with a question. and He said, if you were to take 100 pounds and you were to put it on a dead corpse, what would that feel like? Well, the unbelieving skeptic looked back and he said, well, they wouldn't feel it because it's dead. And the evangelist quickly looked back at the unbelieving skeptic and he said, that's the same way with the sinner who doesn't look at sin as death. It doesn't feel like anything. And friends, the same thing with you. If you don't feel the weight of sin, if you don't feel the burden of sin in your life over things in your heart, there's a problem. I mean, that's really a dangerous place to be if you do not see sin as a problem in your life. And so you are to remove it. Clean house. Some of you, that means deep cleaning. It means not just the surface level things, not just the things people can see, but it means what's in your heart. It's getting to the root of the problem. It's dealing with the issue. There was a a man who continued to come to a a Bible study every Wednesday night, and he'd sit there in the pews, and he would confess his sin, and he would say, "Uh, Lord, the, the cobwebs are coming between you and me. And he said, would you please clear the cobwebs away from me? And he'd do this over and over again for for months and months. He'd come and he'd say, Lord, the cobwebs are between you and me. Would you just remove these cobwebs? Well, finally, an older man got sick of that and he stood up and he said, Lord, would you just take care of that spider in that man's life? (laughs) Listen, some of us need to take care of the spider in our lives. We need a clean house. We need to remove the sin in our life if God's word is ever going to change us, if it's ever going to control us. And then finally, number five. Number five, remove our pride. We are to remove our pride. Notice the end of verse 21. He says this. He says, you know, lay aside your sin and receive or allowed to be controlled by nurture with meekness or with humility the ingrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now that's an odd, that's an odd phrase there. How can you receive something that's already implanted in you? Well, here's the deal. Here's what James is getting at. He's saying that at salvation, in this context, at salvation, the Word of God is implanted in you. And you are to receive it or you are to nurture it. You are to allow it to control you. And here's the deal. The Word of God can't control you if you have sin in your life. That's why if you don't unclog your ears, if you don't zip your lips, if you, if you don't eliminate your anger, if you don't wash your hands, you're never going to hear what the Word of God has to say. You're never going to allow it to grow in you, to, to take control of you. And so you to remove those things, but then you're supposed to put out a welcome mat for it. When you say, well, how, how, how do I allow the word of God? How do I receive the word of God? What does it say? With meekness, with humility. And in that context, I want you to see this now, the person who is humble, the person with humility is the person who has a teachable spirit. It's the person who comes to the Word of God and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen better. I'm not going to talk back. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that what I hear from the Word of God, I'm going to allow it to humble me and to teach me. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to try to do what it says. The Bible says, if the Word of God is going to change you, it begins with you humbling yourself. To sit under the feet of the Word of God and to be changed by it. And friend... You will never be changed. You'll just, again, uh, gain all this information. But you'll never be transformed if you don't take these steps. If you don't come back and say, I'm going to unclog my ears. I'm going to zip my lips. I'm going to eliminate my anger. I'm going to wash my hands. And then, so that the Word of God grows in me, I'm going to receive it in a teachable spirit. I'm going to receive it in a teachable spirit. So I pray... I pray as we, as we consider the Word of God in our life that we'll come at that point, that we'll be trained by what God's Word says, not trained by anything else. See, we want to listen to everything else in this world before we listen to the Word of God. And that's a problem. And, and I pray that we can do that in our life so that we can come with clean hearts and that God's Word can change us. And you think about the impact. You think about the impact the church a gospel Baptist church, could have on a community if they would clean their hands, if they'd listen to the word of God and be transformed. Just one church, not to mention every Christian. You know, that the world is watching, the world is looking to see how Christians act, not to be hypocrites, but to be holy, to be holy. And it begins with God's word. And so I pray, I pray in your life that you will take those and you'll use it this week as we consider what God's word can do through us. Will you pray with me? As we come to a time of invitation, as the worship team makes their way up here, I just want you to consider this in your life. I don't want you to skim over God's Word and the power of it in your life. I don't want you to overlook uh, the fact that God has given us. He's, he's breathed out His Word to us so that we can be changed. There's nothing in this life that's going to change you except for what it's said in this Word. And many times... We overlook it. And so if if you're here today and and maybe you've come and you've stepped in here and you've said, Pastor Nick, I've never really been transformed in the first place. I've never been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can never allow the word of God to change you unless you know him as your Savior, first of all. And so if you don't know Christ, I want to give you a chance to do that today. There's individuals up front here. You can make your way uh, when we give the invitation. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you want to be transformed for eternity. But maybe you're here and you say, "Pastor Nick, I I am not in your word. I'm not in God's word like I should be." Listen, today's the day to get that right. Today's the day to come and before the Lord and to ask him to transform your heart through his word. You have that time now. And we're going to give you a chance to do that, and there's people up here if you need somebody to pray with you. Father, we come to you today. We're mindful of your presence. We know that when we open your word that you are present with us. And so we are grateful, Lord, that you have spoken to us. You're not silent. Well, we pray that through the power of your word that we can be transformed, that we can be changed, that we can be renewed to live holy, godly lives before you. Well, we pray that we watch our tongues, we watch our mouths, we watch our anger. We remove the sin and we come with humility. We thank you for this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We